Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. It is entitled, God's Presence. God's presence. <clears throat> God is omnipresent. He's everywhere throughout his creation. He knows what is going on through the universe. Maybe, as far as we know, multiple universes. And <clears throat> if I ask for a show of hands, does anyone not want God's presence in their life. I expect no hands would go up. Oh, perhaps perchance there's a few contrarians around that would want to make an issue out of it. But generally speaking, we want God's presence in our life. But when we say yes to that question, it's a response to a, essentially a poll. It is an intellectual response. <clears throat> Because in reality of life, there are times when we will act in a manner that says we prefer God not to be in our lives. We may run from him, and we may hide from him. As a young person, perhaps about the age 10 or so, I vividly remember a conversation with several of my friends who attended the local Methodist church, as I did. We were sitting on the back porch of my parents' house, and we were talking about God. And the question came up, do you believe in God? Which is kind of an odd question, you would think, for children that are attending church. But sometimes children attend church not on their own volition. And I remember when they came around to me and asked me the question, my response, I remember it to this day, and I said, yes, I believe him and him but I don't know him. And part of knowing God is having his presence and knowing you have his presence. So the question I have for you today is, do you know God? And you, do you know that his presence is with you? And if he is present in our lives, are we getting to know him better? And we should. We should come to understand the path that we should choose, the direction that we should go. And I don't mean this just on a religious basis, but overall in our life's experience, in our decision making. I mean this to include in totality all aspects of your and my physical existence and spiritual development. Every decision, every relationship, the mental, the physical, the emotional aspects of our life in the things that we experience within. And my first question to ask you to consider is, how well do you think you know God? Because knowing him, then you know how he operates. You have expectations. You have some idea what he will do for you and what he won't do for you. 
And as we go through life, we'll learn more about it. We also have some understanding as to what he expects from us. <clears throat> the corporation I worked with <clears throat> for a number of years had five-year plans. And you develop this five-year plan, which, if you think about it, is somewhat ridiculous. There's nobody here that can put in place a five-year plan and say it's going to happen that way. We, it's more of, this is what I will do if conditions warrant it, and this is what I would like to do if everything works out satisfactorily. And I remember the operations manager at the time coming back from a corporate meeting and, say, and saying, they actually expected me to do this. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's hard to go out five years. But we can put down our hopes and our dreams in a path that we want to go in. Now, God could map it all out. And he has the ability to make it happen. And he could provide very great detail. But he doesn't generally do that. He provides a skeleton overview of what will happen. And when, the time element is generally not provided. And in fact, we're even told in some scriptures that the times are not for us to know. After the resurrection, they were instructed to stay in Jerusalem and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But they didn't ask why they should be baptized with the Holy Spirit, what the need was, or what was the purpose of that. They came back and said, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel then? Is this the end time? Are the events happening now? And he answered their question that they're not supposed to know the times. But he went on to say that they would witness in all the earth, Acts 1, 3 through 8. I'm going to turn there and, and read that. Well, let's, let's start in verse 4 instead of 3. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard from me. For truly, John, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. Which, of the Father, which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive the power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall witness unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, he didn't say anything about opening salvation to the Gentiles, but we're going to witness in all of the earth. Again, they didn't seem to pick up on that, because a little later, when it came time to open salvation to the Gentiles, he led Peter through a series of actions and events without laying it out. He didn't write it out, put it on a scroll, kind of open the salvation to the Gentiles on such and such a date, such and such a month. We're going to start it at such and such a place. It was not a five-year plan. The point I'm trying to illustrate is God's presence in our life and how he leads us. We have to be sensitive 
to the awareness of these guidances and these directions. And Peter explains how the, the calling of the Gentiles came about back in the book of Acts in the 11th chapter, starting in, if, let's start in verse 1 just to get a background on it. Acts 11. <clears throat> And the apostles and brethren that were there in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, dropping down to verse 4. But Peter reviewed the matter from the beginning and expounded it in order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descending, as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon which, when I had fastened my eyes upon it, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild things and creepy things and fowls of the air. And I heard her voice say unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, No, not so, Lord, for nothing common or clean, unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there came three men into the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me to go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house who stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words by which thou and all thy health shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, and so they get baptized. And in the concluding scripture in eight, verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. None documented, and not documented any place else in the scriptures, that he was going to undertake that action. But they were led into it through and having God's presence with them. Now, one of the problems that we will run into as Christians are old erroneous attitudes and concepts that cluttered our minds from some unlearned sources. And it's a task sometime to clear the decks of this baggage as a, as a child. And we need to do that, clear the decks and begin anew as a child would approach his or her parents. And this, The erroneous attitudes, and it's, it's hard to say this, it's because for each of you individually means different things. And it's, they can be very convoluted, they can be very intense, they can be passed down from parents, it can be chemical, medical based, and so on. And coupled with old attitudes, are we afraid of God? Sometimes people feel, I am so terrible, God could never forgive me. 
and this links up to point number five that I'm going to mention in a minute. Uh, and it links back to, again, it can be inherited, it can be parental teacher teaching environment, and it can relate back to poor self-image and feeling unworthy. But in the scriptures it tells us, though your sins be as scarlet, so sit down and reason together. And that kind of debunks being afraid of God and getting rid of old erroneous attitudes. There's not a whole, there's not a whole lot of uh, care or strenuous detail or gyrations one has to go through to get there. It's simply just do it. It's simply just do it. It says God will accept you, sit down and talk to him about your sins, your shortcomings, whatever they may be. When Adam sinned, he impeded his relationship with God by running away. In Genesis 3, verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. He was in the garden. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And that's what happens when we sin. And we know that we sin when we know that we disobeyed God. We feel guilty about it and we don't want to face him. The same thing happens um, lots of times with children. They know, oh, I'm going to get it when I get home tonight. And, or mom reiterates the fact, wait till your dad gets home. You know, so we know what's what's coming. These are points that we need to consider and if we're in any of those boats to talk to God about it and to have the boldness and the confidence that Paul talks about and go to God with these issues. Because in doing so we can refuse to accept God's love. And we all have some momentary experiences of this. And a poor self-image is one that can be very deeply ingrained in it. And I want to spend a little time on that because I can personally talk to that. Because when all of my friends at the height of five foot three and one quarter inches continued to grow onto five eight, five nine, five twelve, six foot, six four, I stayed at five foot three and a quarter inches. And I was the target of, of abuse from my friends. And I wasn't recognized as an equal or accepted. And at first awareness came to me at 12 years old after I had been voted by the players on the team, the MVP of my little league team. But yet the same kids that I played sandlot baseball with, when we chose up sides, I was never chosen. I was always the last one there that ended up being on some team because nobody wanted me, but I was there to play, so I had to be chosen someplace. Okay? That's when the awareness first struck me. But I kind of blew it off and said, well, that's kids. You know, when I become an adult, things will change. It'll go away. It won't be like that. That was not the case. That was not the case at all. 
And a friend of mine, a very close friend, he picked up a book at a bookstore called The Height of Your Life. And it is a great revelation to me. And how a short man, especially in the corporate environment, but throughout society, is generally treated as a woman. What you say is thrown off. You know, it's, it's good illustration is as a man driving down and he's lost, right? And his wife is there, stop at the gas station and get directions. She's a woman, I'm not going to listen to her. Where are we now? Was that the, ro was that the road there? Didn't we, go through, didn't, didn't we go through this intersection before? You know? So that, that's the way they treat you. And I ran into that in the corporate environment. And the interesting thing, and I got this information from uh, a person who was a temporary sales rep. They, she came around and she supplied temporary people to our corporation. And she says to me that the more highly educated a person is, and if they are in a high senior position, you probably won't run into that problem. And I found that to be true. It was a very interesting and enlightening experience. But at the same time, in my book, The Height of Your Life, it stated 88% of the CEOs of S&P 500 corporations are six foot tall or taller because man inherently looks to tall people as the authority, inherently. And if you're going to make it in the corporate world, as one man said to me, and he was over six foot tall, you really got to be good. That's what he said. So I came up with some strategies to combat this. Because the book went through some of the strategies. Some of them, well, we could say are a little less than Christian. You could say some of them are just downright combative. Um, and I used a good variety of them, and I don't remember which ones were Christian and which ones weren't, so I can't, I, I can't confess that to you. But I can confess to you that they worked. I can confess that they, they worked. And one of the things that they said in the book, and I found out this to be true also, is that the same people that will treat you as a non-entity, as, as the way they treat a woman, have no value, no authority in what you say or what your recommendations are or what you're doing, and pay little attention to it. Those same people, when you stand up for yourself and start to combat against being treated that way, they're the same people that will condemn you for doing it. They're the ones that will say, you're authoritarian, you're Napoleonic, oh, who does he think he is? And they will try to keep you in that box. Now Saul stood head and shoulders upon all the men of Israel. Maybe that's why God chose him. But then when he chose David, David was short. But I want to get back to my central theme of this, is that the poor self-image affects your relationship with God, directly and indirectly. Indirectly because it impacts how you view other people. You are biased and prejudiced by your own poor self-image as to how you relate to other people. You will hang labels on people and say, this, you'll do the same thing that the authoritarian Napoleonic guy says about you because of what, how you think about yourself. Again, I can say this from my own experience only. I'm no authoritarian in psychoanalytical behavior.
so there's, there's two things, two, two ways that a person with a self, self image, poor self-image will respond to it. And there may be more, but I'm familiar with two. One is they will withdraw from life. The second is they will try to achieve feeling worthy through accomplishment. That is both a good thing and a bad thing. Because to get out of a poor self-image syndrome, if you will, you need to have some positive results. You need to get some feedback that says, I am worthy. But at the same time, even when you do something right, they still won't give you the feedback that you want. So even though you're MVP on the Little League team, they still treat you as if you're a nobody. So there's a trap there that you end up trying to achieve something to hopefully get recognition so you can feel that you're worthwhile and get an attaboy from the people that seem to despise you. And there's a trap there because it's their own attitude and what you do and what you achieve may have no impact on them whatsoever. And as I already mentioned, there's a vulnerability of misleading and labeling other people uh, and misjudging them because of your own inadequacies. You know, God says, and it was said to Abraham, and it's recounted in James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. The very fact that we believe in God and we try to please him is significant in establish, establishing righteousness. And it's important because in 1 Peter 3.12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. He hears, his ears are open unto their prayers. If we feel unrighteous and we don't believe God will hear us and we don't seek him, we're going in the wrong path. We cannot allow those feelings to dictate the direction that we go. In the instructional prayer of Matthew 6, Jesus said one of the things to pray for is our daily bread. Well, bread is physical food. It is a survival need. We will die without food. But in a, in a greater sense, it's not only a physical need, but it's a spiritual need. It can affect, if we don't pray for daily bread as it relates to our mental condition, our emotional condition, be guided by him in this aspects of our relationships and our lives. If we don't do it, we can have negative impacts on relationships, attitudes, circumstances, and conditions we live in. If we do it, and we see his presence, because that's, that's the beauty of it. There are times, and you've all been there, and you have a problem before you, and all of a sudden God opens that door, and you know. And you know, and you know that you know that door is open, and walk through it. And you deal with what's on the other side. Sometimes there's problems, sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's real easy. Then there's also the time 
And I've done this, and you've all done this too probably. The door opens. Something that you prayed about. You have prayed about this and asked for it. The door opens and you do this. The scripture talks about God isn't pleased with men that draw back. And I, I, sometimes we, we pray for something, and then after, after a while, we, gee, I wish I wouldn't have prayed for that. <laughs> and I, if I go through this door, you know what's on the other side? I, I, I already have visibility that this is going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. I don't want to fight those battles. Why did I ever pray for this? Well, God opening the door says, it's probably a good thing that you fight those battles. But I know in a couple of cases, I did the, let's backpedal and get out of here, man. Put it in reverse. Well, my life would have been different had I walked through that door. I don't know. I know it would have been totally and completely different. So daily bread. Next, he tells us in the instructional prayer, forgiving debts. And this is interesting because it kind of is endorsing random chance then. There's no guarantee in this physical life. And he may work things out through other people. And it creates a necessary situation for the correction of an individual. And maybe you, by forgiving his debts, will be able to facilitate him in coming to a relationship with Christ or having a better relationship with Christ. It wasn't too many months back that I got ripped off for over $2,300 by a contractor who was supposed to do a job and he never did it. And I said to Aletha when we left the store, something wrong there. It's not right. This guy's going out of business. There was a sense there. And I was right. And I'm not to brag about it, but the sense was there and the choice was there. Should I do business with this guy because there's something wrong here. Or should I go ahead? Well, we talked personally with the guy. He had several daughters. He liked to go camping and so on. I went through with the deal, over $2,300. Within just a matter of two or three weeks, he filed bankruptcy. And I said to Aletha, you know, he probably needs it more than I do. He's got it. I, I knew where he told me where I lived. If he was trying to rip me off, he did a really bad job of it because he told me where I live. So the old proverb, you know, I know where you live. You know? So if I wanted revenge, I, I certainly had the opportunity. So I just, no, I said, no, I, I'll forgive him of that. He probably needs it more than I do. Uh, and he's probably just trying to get along by the skin of his teeth. So I let it go. And, And we forgive our trespasses also is the next item that's in there. And we do that for a number of reasons. Again, it kind of relates back to um, getting on the wrong side of God as he's trying to work something out. You know, we can make a, a right decision, but because we're in this big scheme of things with God, our decision is right. But because of the impacts of everything else that's going on, things turn out bad for us, and we say, oh, God, why did you let me do this? Why didn't you save me from this? Well, it's an opportunity to forgive trespasses 
and maybe also um, we need to learn something from it too. That being right in our own eyes, whatever the decision is, whether whether it's a procurement of assets or whether it's a, you know, a decision with a relationship, a husband and wife, sister, brother, father, mother, children, whatever. We can make a right decision. And maybe that right decision doesn't work out so well for whatever reason. could be because of society. There are forces at play that are greater than we are. And say we get hurt or we hurt somebody else, um, Good adage is, all, always expect the best of a brother. Somebody in Christ, expect the best from them, even when they step on your toes. Even when they step on your toes. Because a lot of what happens, especially when we become emotional, is projections. The guy can't yell at his boss, you get fired, so he goes home and yells at his wife and kicks the dog. You know? And there's two good examples, I don't have time to go through them. I'll reference you to them. Joseph and his brothers, Genesis 37, where he had a dream. He tells his brothers about the dream, and they basically accuse him of, huh, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? We're going to bow down, and you're going to rule over us? And then David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, where David goes down, to, and his brothers accusing him of coming down there and to see the battle. And David stands up and says, I'll go fight him. Of course, his brothers wouldn't, but they condemned David for coming down there. So we can see through the instructional prayer that we have, uh, we, we may be in an unrecognizable part in the Christian development of another person, in that by following these instructions, we can facilitate another Christian either to be called or help in their development. It's really important. And I'm not trying to say we should have the positive mental attitude about everything that goes on in our life. And there was a book years ago, Empower of Positive Thinking. There is a little bit something to that, that approaching a problem with a positive outlook as opposed to going in there, even when everything is wrong. Because the human mind, the human being, is such a complex organism so complex. God says that if we follow him, we invite him into our lives, into all of our problems, all of our conditions, all of our mental thoughts, in total encompassment of our lives, that he will be there and he will be a rewarder of those that love him. And if we turn to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, verse 4. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father who, who sees in secret shall reward you openly. And that's one of the rewards, that is the benefit of always having God present in our life and not allowing the negativities and even circumstances to allow us 
ourselves. Not, we should not allow ourselves to get in a situation where we project the negativity onto others, where we accept their negativity in a negative way and respond accordingly. In Revelation 22.12, it says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be. And I'd refer, a parallel scripture on that, I believe, is James 1.22. I'm not going to turn there. I want to I finish where this all leads to. And it all leads to getting a crown. Getting a crown. I was out running errands. And I came on home. I opened the door and I walk in there. Letha's there doing something. And I proudly announced, Hey, sis, I just got my first crown. She looks up and cynically and says, Oh, so are you telling me King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table just got reincarnated? <laughs> Family. But there's more to it than that. And it's in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearing.